unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. We've got a really awesome guest today. She is an experienced strategist at Twig and Fish, a human-centered research practice, and she's primary lecturer of HF780, a capstone research course for the HFID graduate program at Bentley University. Please join me in welcoming Mina Kothandaraman. Welcome, Mina. Hi, Thomas. You ready for 20 questions? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Great. Question one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? So I am a qualitative researcher. I have uh, always been fascinated by human stories. And basically what I do is I help organizations really focus in on the power, the practice, and um, the um, potential that really qualitative research has in being leveraged as a strategic tool in organizations. Great. Just a quick note for the audience as we start here. Um, Mina and I met in Bangalore um, at the UX India conference where she was a keynote speaker and I was sitting on a couple of panels. It was a few years ago now. Um, question two, what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? That makes me different. So I would say... Um... I focus a lot, so I've been a sort of a lone woman of color for a very long time in this field and something that I'm aware of, but now I'm able to do a little bit more uh, in terms of giving back to the field um, beyond what I've already done. Um, but I'd say what makes things a little bit different for me is that I have an incredible work-life balance. I'm able to really like work hard and I love what I do. I wouldn't honestly change it for anything else. Um, but I also am able to have like full energy for my family as well. And I have very grown kids, but it's, uh, something that I've been able to do as they were tiny and they were growing up. So I feel like that is definitely something that makes me a little bit different where a lot of women struggle with that. I, I've actually had a really, really great one with it. There's actually great foreshadowing for a further question where we do specify about work-life balance, but that's a, that's a great, uh, insight there. Um, number three, why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? Um, so I really find that it, it, I, it's a really good question, actually, because I feel like it's just always been about people and people's stories for me. I've always been fascinated, especially from the culture that I come from. Storytelling is, is such a big part of our culture. Um, I've always been fascinated by stories, but also just in terms of the concept of product design and the concept of um, experience design in general, um, it is becoming in some funny way, even though I feel like we've had this discussion where the internet is supposed to bring us closer to people. And it certainly has in many ways that we can, we both know about. Um, I think one thing that uh, has not worked well are organizations that feel that they are connecting more with people and actually do quite the opposite. Um, and they really don't keep um, the people and other important aspects of our environment and being you know, sensitive to the waste that they produce and so on and so forth. They're not sensitive to the details that can actually attract someone toward a company. And I find that when you do focus in on some of the tougher questions that people have 
um, it really gives people a sense of connection to their own jobs. Um, and I think honestly, conducting qualitative research in organizations really does not only get you closer to your constituents as an organization, you start to learn about the people that you serve so much better, but you also make the work that people do internally so much more meaningful when they know that there is somebody on the other end, like most people want to do good in the world. I truly believe that about humankind in general. Um, but what happens is we get distracted very easily. And when we have that focus of making sure that we can feel connected to someone, feel like we've made a change, hopefully for the positive in somebody's life, I feel like that is a wonderful sort of really happy place to be. And I feel like that's what drives me toward this field, which is that I get a chance to actually make that connection for organizations to their constituents and also organizations to their own people that they employ. So I honestly, I wouldn't do anything else. Like I, I always, I love people. I always wanted to be a bartender and I love hearing stories. And I feel like this is just a, this is an even better version of a bartender. <laughs> um, number four, what does your future look like? What does my future look like? And I'm sorry, I keep on having to repeat the question. So the process is in my head. Um, I feel like it is fantastic. It's um, because I've had work-life balance throughout and really, you know, focused on getting the best of both worlds. I feel like it's full of joy. It's full of excitement. It's full of lots of love for my family and friends um, and full of lots of learning, which I still get to do on a day in and day out basis, not only from the work that I do, but also from my family, from my kids, because they are grown up and they have their own mindsets and their own opinions about things. I feel like the future is just lots of learning and lots of fun and excitement and adventure. Great. Number five is a bit unique to this podcast. It's uh, let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? How does the notion of place play into? So if I may ask a clarifying question there, do you mean like in terms of where I go to do my work or where I do my work? We have a range of responses to this. Um, some people talk about place during pandemic as uh, one kind of place. Some people talk about it in a very small way, like the objects that surround them in a place. And other people talk on a more theoretical level of place being this um, idea um, that, that we kind of have to pry at. I think, I think all of those kind of responses work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, location, again, because, again, I, I feel like I'm a little unique in how I've approached my career. I have always um, had the balance between the work that I do, where I work it. So I've always chosen if I do want to break and I do want to go and travel to some location and do work in a particular country um, or, you know, particular environment um, versus uh choosing to work around my own children's schedule as they were growing up, making sure that I was available at home and yet still able to do my job. So location to me is really whatever we want it to be in that given moment. I know during the pandemic, so many people have come to the brilliant realization that you don't need to necessarily physically be in a place all the time for some moments of the work that we do. Um, I would 100% agree with that because I've it's sort of my proven I guess I can use myself as proof um, to say that location has not always played a part 
if we look at details about conducting qualitative research, as we well know, context and location do make a difference. Um, so I will emphasize that when I think it really makes that difference um, of me either being somewhere or the learning taking place somewhere. But location is really however we choose to define it. So, so long as we have all the elements necessary in order to be able to create integrity to whatever it is that we do, I think there's really no reason why location can't be everywhere. We can choose however we want it to, to work, however we want it to play. And um, I think it's like the people and the environment that really create it. So they're sort of all important aspects to consider when you're looking at a holistic approach to learning about anything or doing any type of work. Does that sort of make sense? Well, yeah, it's a great answer. I mean, there are so many tangential areas around place that kind of help to define it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Because the culture, the um, the you know, as some, as you pointed out, some people talking about the objects in a particular environment, the environment around us in terms of um, the people that surround us, um, you know, the technology. Now, there's so many different aspects and so many different areas of. Uh, that we can sort of introspect, but I think at the end of the day, it's really, um, it can really be defined by a particular, you know, aspect like I've described, or it can be because it's a particular like, you know, place that has a name. Like I think of my, my son always laughs, like my, my husband and I want to move around. Both my kids are, are in college and, and basically my, my husband always talks about just upping and going someplace for a few months. And I always ask the kids, I'm like, are you okay with that? And they're like, really, honestly, mom, like so long as you and dad are there, that's home. So it's that kind of definition that I think I use is that to service a particular need, all we need to do is understand how we define it and have an aligned upon definition as well, which I think is equally important. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, number six, if you had to start from scratch, what advice would you give your former younger self? Oh, that's another really good question. Um, when I would give, what advice I would give to my former self. So I would say it's really important to be vocal and don't be, don't think that when you go against the grain of something, um, it's contradicting. Sometimes when you go against the grain and you have a different perspective, it doesn't necessarily rebut what is out there, but it more so can bring more clarity to what is out there. So to discuss that, I mean, to, to understand the perspective I'm coming in from, as I mentioned, I've, I've sort of been a lone woman of color and lone person of color almost in this field for over 30 years. And I feel like this is finally opening up now and we have so many more you know, brilliant practitioners being added to this field. But um, I had a place when I started and I had a voice in the field. And I felt like when I was learning a lot and I was sort of climbing that tree of learning, if that's fair to say, I really should have shared my experience so that others could hear um, more about the work in progress then like more about the adventure and the journey than the destination, which is a common analogy. But I think that would have been really important for people to understand because my own lived realities are so different from other people. Um, 
you know, it's something that I'm actually really working on right now, for example, to have more Indigenous and more African American or, you know, Black people generally be a part of this field, because I feel like we don't have enough variety in the storytellers. Um, you know, the story can be told once we hear the human story in terms of whether it's just the story, whether it's a story that relates to product. When we think about all of that, it's really important to make sure we embrace different perspectives of how that story is actually absorbed and how it might actually be, you know, re-delivered, if that's fair to say. So I feel like if I, if I did go back to my former self, I would give more credit and maybe more emphasis to me sharing my story as I was learning this, because I think there's so much value to hearing people who are, you know, learning and sort of going along this path of trying to understand what that story is and how to define it and how they are, they are perceiving it, if that's fair to say. Um, I think there's so much more value to that for people to hear that sort of in progress um, points of view versus um, just the destination. And I feel like I was consistently waiting for that destination rather than actually just, you know, share vocally, like this is the way I look at things. And I think people would have hopefully seen the value of that. But I know today for sure, I have so many students um, through Bentley and also just people that I mentor, you know, informally. Um, and when I talk to them, they're like, you know, what did you do? And how did you do this? And what was your experience? And I realize I've not vocalized it enough. So I sort of wish I had, and I would definitely tell myself to emphasize that more. There's a great TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story. And yeah. Yeah, you know, the thing about that is that that single story becomes your truth. And when you have more stories, you have more possible truths. Um, well, that's, that's so true, because sorry, not to interrupt you. No, um, that's so true, because, you know, even, even when we look at data analysis, I always like this is a common thing that Oh, my God, so many people would have heard me say probably, and they'll be tired of me repeating it. But, you know, if you just ask somebody for a singular story, it's one data point. And it's not to say that we need five million people and it's lots of numbers and you know quantitative data we're looking at but what I need to establish with people is really just get a sense for that pattern um, that they have so what is the pattern that they're going off of and if they can tell me one story about how they controlled something and tell me another story about how they controlled something completely differently and then maybe a third story is about my product and how they control it then I'm going to get a much better sense of how they perceive this concept of control, for example. Mm -hmm. So I agree, you have to have, you know, I've, I have heard that TED talk and I agree with a lot of it, which is we can't base people because we don't know what all is going around them. We, there's so much more to people than meets the eye, which I know we know, but we don't sometimes honestly recognize. Um, you know, somebody had asked, Denzel Washington, I think, if I remember correctly, like, you know, uh, you know, do you think if you were a black producer of a movie, do you think it would be different if it was a white producer? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it doesn't have to do with the black and the white and they make it such a color thing. It's the culture. It's their lived reality. He's like, I know what I grew up with. I know how my world was growing up. I see the story that I want to tell on film very differently because of that and 
that's sort of what I'm hearkening towards is the culture, it's the lived reality. It's some of the things that go unnoticed to many people, unless you have actually experienced it yourself. Um, there are like, there are so many good examples of, um, you know, movies or, or television series or things that a particular population will really resonate with and everybody else will be like, what is the big deal about that? But unless you have lived that reality, you won't be able to appreciate the message that they're, they're like, you'll start laughing going, oh my God, that was me growing up. Like that must've been like a window into my family or a window into my, you know, education that I was doing when I was in Canada and I was growing up. And, but not everybody can appreciate that unless they've actually, you know, drank the same water as you. Great. Number seven, what's your day in the life like? What's my day in the life like? Um, I'd say it's, very structured with a lot of flexibility. Um, my, um, my mornings are really, um, I'm a very slow starter in the morning. I'm not a morning person by any means. Um, I definitely need a few cups of coffee to get, get moving. But once I'm up and I get moving, I don't stop. I'm, uh, people always, I think one comment I've consistently received from people, not only in my course, but also, you know, professional relationships I have is people always ask me why I have so much energy and I don't really know the answer to that question I don't feel like I have more energy than the average person but um but I feel like once I get going I have a very stark plan for how my day goes um I don't mind things changing I don't mind there being flexibility but I like to have some sort of plan I'm definitely a planner I like to think you know my my next two months is pretty much I know what's going on I know what has to happen for my family for me personally for my work um, for all my extra you know curricular activities that I do so I find that I wake up and I look sort of at that calendar that I've put together for myself because I I sort of revisit at the end of every day to prep like prep and plan for the next day so having that structure having an understanding of what to do, always taking time sort of to, again, balance things out. Like right now I wake up, I get cracking on work. I make sure I take a break in the middle of my day to try and work out. Um, I'm helping, you know, my son with college apps. Um, and, you know, I spend time cooking, you know, some sort of fun family meal and connecting with the people that I love. Those are things that are sort of fixed in my day. And I find that everything else sort of works around it. So there will always be fixed elements and there will always be variable elements, but I really try to maintain some sort of structure so that it's not just, I'm going to wake up and I have no idea what I'm doing, because I don't think I really enjoy that unless I'm purely on vacation. But even when I'm purely on vacation, I want to have at least just one thing to anchor my day. Um, and that's just, I think that's the way I tick and the way I really enjoy, but I, I try to balance things out between taking care of myself, taking care of my family, taking care of work, and then also taking care of the people around me in my neighborhood, for example, or, you know, helping somebody, you know, cook a meal because they don't have the time to like, I will do whatever I can to sort of do it all. And I so far I find it's, it's, I'm really good at multitasking. So I find that that has helped me. Um, but I do like the structure with the flexibility. It's a great answer. Um, number eight, lifelong learning is a popular topic these days. How do you stay up to date? 
Yeah. I mean, it's the question is what you're learning about, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like everything should be learning. I mean, I, and not to limit this and I, maybe, I don't know if you were intending this question to limit it to work. Um, but I feel like, especially, and I talk about this also as, as a researcher, I feel like we need to sort of develop habits. We need to develop skills that turn into habits. And when it becomes a habit, you don't think about it and you just do it. So I'm constantly learning about different aspects of my work, like learning about, you know, people, their perceptions, their behaviors, their aptitudes, their attitudes, their emotions, looking at all four sort of elements of how people are defined and sort of looking for any topic that informs that. But then also what else about people, like how does technology impact them? How does, um, uh, you know, the, the society affect them? So I sort of seek out anything that I feel I walk away going, hmm, that's interesting, or that's a different viewpoint from mine. And I'd really like to read that. And um, or something that just sort of even corroborates what I'm thinking. And I feel like, oh, this is really interesting material because I think it's going to emphasize the way I already think. And I think I enjoy the, the learning that happens the most when it's contrary to what I believe, because it makes me and forces me not to just get caught up with the stream of thinking or a stream of consciousness, but more so challenge it and put a bit of a dam in the way I think of things and sort of slow down and go, okay, well, what about this other way of looking at things? So I feel like it's constant. It's always there. It's also um, important to not be too opinionated. So these are like all skills that I think of as a researcher where I should be able to listen really well. I should be able to contemplate and sort of absorb what somebody's saying without passing judgment on it. I, I always cite um Miguel Ruiz uh, Don Miguel Ruiz who wrote the four agreements I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book but it's a wonderful set of agreements basically saying that you grew up in a certain environment and you were bestowed upon you certain agreements by your parents and by your family and by the culture and so on and so forth but the agreements are created and they're broken over time because of course, you know, life changes, but there are four agreements that actually will never ever, like they're pristine, they never ever get um, affected and their integrity should always be maintained. And I feel like those four agreements are something that I really try to think about in terms of learning as well. Um, Just really briefly, the four agreements are always, um, sorry, um, speak impeccably, which I think is really hard to do so as a researcher I think about you know how do I learn to be mindful of the words that I use and how I deliver something to somebody what words do I use and am I choiceful with those words Um, you know don't uh, don't take things personally which is really hard but as a researcher sometimes maybe we're talking about um, discussions that are um, they're a little bit more personal or we might have an opinion about them that we feel that that person might be skirting a line. So how do we make sure that we keep our thoughts and viewpoints outside of what's going on? Um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on the third one. So first one was um, speak impeccably. Second one was don't think, think personally. Um, oh, I'm blanking on the third one. And the fourth one is um, always do your best. Of course, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to just look it up really quickly or agreements and almost I always forget the third one it's also one that I don't seem to be very good at Mm. but 
hold on with me for just one second. Oh, don't make assumptions. Of course. The third one is don't make assumptions, which I also think is really hard. So it's like a constant learning, if that's fair to say, of how to keep on top of these details so that it helps your everyday life. Like I think about how I treat my family and I treat my children. I would always be sure not to sort of lead and lead with, so did you have a good day? Like that is a very leading statement. It doesn't offer them an opportunity to share with me something they learned or share with me something that didn't go according to plan. It sort of puts people in a certain space, so to speak, that they feel almost like you're containing them to that space. So I feel like when I look at learning in terms of, um, you know, just everyday existence. And then beyond that, of course, I love attending conferences, as you probably know, and we met at UX India. I love going to conferences, learning from other practitioners, really, again, listening to the words that they use, because I think the words that some people use really resonate well. And sometimes I feel like I need to fine tune my message of how I deliver what I deliver. Um, and then I think about reading and Sometimes just, again, keeping my head outside of work so that I can be inspired outside of work to apply those pieces of learning inside of work. I like how you brought up um, embracing ideas that are in opposition to yours. Um, you know, I feel like in the design world, there was a time when we realized that that's what we have to do and um, trying to find um, opinions that um, align with ours is, is not the goal. And, and, you know, we're far past that time now, but it's nice to hear that it's kind of like fully embedded in the way that you do things. Yeah, it's, it's really important, I think, to look at things tangentially, because I think even in the, you know, you're well aware of the political climate, even in the United States, it's very easy to just get swept up with everything that's blues, right? Well, not necessarily. And are we actually stopping to listen to somebody who disagrees with us? And I think something I feel I learned from, from Stacey Abrams, um, who I pray becomes governor of Georgia, but she listens so well. Like she, to me, is a huge inspiration of listening and being attentive to what other people are saying and sort of processing it before you just disagree, which mm -hmm. seems to be the way a lot of people want to function. Like, I just want to disagree with you because I want to disagree with you. So if you, Thomas, say A, I'm going to say negative A before I can even do anything beyond that. So am I actually trying to process and I'm actually trying to bridge a conversation because that's the only way I'm going to learn. But if I just talk louder than you and you don't have a chance to, to speak, then I feel like nobody really comes out better or stronger because hopefully if, you know, we can maintain a tone and a respect, which I think having respect for somebody who disagrees with you is, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with what they're saying, but you have to respect them at the most basic level. Even if they disagree with you, you have to have that basic respect. I think we lose that very easily, even in organization, even in work. And it's, it's something that I wish people would come back to and realize that it starts at a place of respect before and listening to each other before you really, you know, veer off on some other paths. That's a great response. Um, we're just about halfway here. So number nine, what tools do you use? Are you more digital or do you use analog tools? That is another really good question. So <clears throat> I am very comfortable again, with the balance, I think, I know at some point, you know, I think about the words that I use to describe myself. I'm not sure if balance is 
possibly a really, you know, a, a good word, but I really try to look at a balance of everything. There's positives and negatives to both. Um, <clears throat> I know as a researcher, I do rely on a lot of analog tools because I feel like it just drops the barrier when I'm talking to somebody. If I have, you know, a pen and a, and a really nice, you know, notepad to work right on. Um, I love stationery. So I love the fact that I get to choose different stationery and different writing, um, writing instruments. But I also just really love the, the act of writing so that it writes into my brain and I can really process the words that I put down. Um, I also love, you know, all sorts of things on digital where I'm using tools, um, like again, back to your learning question of you know using Instagram or using social media to learn about different viewpoints because I feel like different populations might tend towards different tools, mm -hmm. and this way it sort of gives me a nice smattering across all populations, if that's fair to say. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I really I find that um, digital tools are fantastic. I'm always looking for new ones, um, so I know that there are you know clever ways, for example, with this podcast for you to record it and get a transcript obviously zoom gives you a transcript but there are cleverer ways if you want to make clips or something and mm -hmm. there are things that make that easier so as a researcher i look for those kind of things that really streamline but i also don't like it when tools actually add more to my plate um, so i'm very conscientious about scrutinizing the tools and not just taking them at face value but really thinking about their fit into my world um, because i think that's incredibly important because again I'm talked about work-life balance but I think one of the biggest things about balance is being efficient and when anything starts to add time to something that really ought not be that difficult um, I get very impatient very quickly so I'm very careful with choosing both the digital and the analog tools I go with. Nice. Um, you kind of answered this one already, but if you want to kind of elaborate or kind of restate, um, how do you deal with work-life balance? How do I deal with so work-life balance to me is is all about I've I've had it and I've enjoyed it because <clears throat> I have made sure that certain things remain priority. So at the end of the day, I think it does come down to whether work or life is the priority. I respect that people might choose one or the other. I, I have no judgment about that whatsoever, but I do what's right for me. And I've always had only one priority. And that priority for me was very clear. So then the balance goes into place because you try to maintain that priority. Mm -hmm. So when you have one fixed variable, <clears throat> everything else around it will adjust based on needing to address that fixed variable. And sometimes in rare moments, that fixed variable might get impacted a little bit, but that's also when you reach out and ask for help and you say, hey, I'm just, I'm trying to preserve the inners of this center box and I don't want to get it affected too much. So even if it gets affected by 5%, can you step in and help me? So for me, it's been very clear and it's a constant sort of recalibration, if that's fair to say. Um, that goes into place because I never want to feel as though I'm sacrificing one for the other. I love my work. I absolutely love what I do. I have a real passion for it. I wouldn't have changed my career for anything because it's just been so much fun, continues to be so much fun. 
But I also don't want to miss out on things in life that I know once they're gone, they won't come back in, um, in, a, in a manner that feels present and that you're living that moment all over again. Um, so I, I want to make sure that I'm getting the best of both worlds. Um, I also am very forgiving to myself. Um, I try my best to, you know, I don't know, maybe I should restate that. I do my best to be forgiving to myself. I'm not always forgiving to myself, but I want to maintain that balance so that I feel like I've done the best I can. Again, back to number four, um, in terms of the agreements, just doing my best in terms of, did I do a great job at work? And did I do a great job at life? Um, and did I like, did I accomplish what I wanted to today? So I feel like everything that I've set up in terms of infrastructure, in terms of having a little schedule and having, um, you know, uh, things that are, that are mostly structured, but have some flexibility, everything is, has some, um, degrees of forgiveness, if that's fair to say, but I have always kept the inner box of my priority very clear. So I think it, it helped in achieving whatever it is that I considered was balance for me. That segue is really nice into the next question. Um, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? <laughs> oh my God. I am, I have so many different interests. I don't know where I would begin. I'd probably take a little dose of my own medicine and sit down and figure out a way to cross section them on. I am a musician. I'm a cook. I'm a children's book author. I don't know which direction I would go in, or maybe there's one that brings it all together. Um, gosh, if I was to, if I was to answer, I would say something that just makes things even more meaningful well no that's not true that's sort of you said what if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now so I guess if I had to depart completely maybe like you know do a little bit of what um what Jose Andres is doing in terms of you know cooking for people in need and servicing people who need to be supported and people who um, are in either war-torn countries or, you know, going through things like the, the Florida hurricane right now, mm -hmm. I would do something like that because I feel like it's, it's very um, soul-fulfilling in a wonderful way. Number 12, what would you not like to do in terms of career? I don't think I'd ever want to work in a large organization that feels soulless that just runs like a treadmill that um, that you feel like you're just, you have to do things because there's no other route. And that's just what people above you have told you. I don't think I would, well, there's a reason why I have a small agency, mm -hmm. um, but I don't believe I would ever last a day in that anymore because I just feel like everything has to have meaning. Everything has to have purpose. Everything has to have something that fills you at the end of the day. Um, you know, just yesterday, I closed out on a proposal with the client that I've, you know, been around the block with several times. And it was just warm. It was friendly. They're the nicest people to work with. And I thought to myself, like, how lucky am I that I get to feel this way with my work at the end of the day? And I know a lot of people um, personally, professionally that don't feel that way and feel like it's just toxic or it's, 
you're not given the space to really love what you do and do it well because you're constantly, you know, you know, beating to the to the drum of an oboe. Like it's just dancing to the tune of, you know, nothing against an oboe, mind you, but but it's just it's not, it's you know, it's different. It's not what you are hoping for and you feel like you can do a better job. I think that would be punishment. I don't I just don't like the politicking. I don't like the 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 competition where people don't want to collaborate and they want to compete instead it's not as interesting to me 100 percent um 13 what's your favorite word quote or sentence word quote or sentence so i i love dr seuss even though i disagree with a lot of some of the premises of dr seuss so i'd go with like winnie the pooh I love children's books. I think children's book, Sandra Boynton is another favorite of mine, but children's books are just so beautiful. I would, I would think of Eeyore here, maybe. I always think of the Eeyore um, when he's talking to Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh is always so thoughtful about others. And you probably obviously know all the, the characters of the Hundred Acre Wood, but um, when Eeyore says a little consideration, you know, sort of a little thought for others can make all the difference. Mm. Um, I think I hold that very true to what I do in my work. That, that's a unique one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not too many people are Winnie the Pooh fans potentially, but I love, I don't know. I look at all of the Winnie the Pooh quotes and I just, I love them because they're so simple and straightforward. And I think sometimes that's all we need to be. Um, 14 is what's your least favorite word quote or sentence? What's my least favorite work word or sentence? Least favorite. I don't know when people, it's funny, even this word leader and leadership, like people ask me if I'm an expert, do I consider myself a leader? Mm. Am I a girl boss? Mm. That's another one I just do not like. It, it doesn't make a difference. Are you, I can be a leader. I had a really nice um, conference presentation that I did where I talked about this concept of leadership and I debunked it in terms of um, the way the animal world looks at leadership and you look at lions you look at elephants you look at um, uh, you know uh, leopards and then you look at um, geese and I was laughing because I said I don't know why but I actually my spirit animal is definitely a Canada goose because they all take turns leading and I think that's the way I look at all of that is that I don't want to be considered an expert or a leader. I want to be considered somebody in the moment that might have something good to say, but I don't always have something good to say. And that's what keeps me learning back to your previous question from other people, because I listen to what they have to say. And sometimes what they have to say is far better than what I have to say. So I'm more than happy to listen to other people's suggestion and also contribute when I feel like I really do have the knowledge that it takes to move us forward. That's very progressive. You know, the idea, the geese idea, um, taking turns leading, that's really great. Um, number 15, if, we had to, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would you choose? Yeah, I've said the word balance quite a bit. I'd say balance, but I'd also say, I don't know, you're asking me for one word, so I'm already doing what I don't like people doing to me. Um, one word. I would say um, curious. Mm. I just, I like learning. I've always loved learning. And sometimes 
I'm in awe of people who learn so much and can retain as much information. Like my, my husband and my son are just, they're so good at trivia and they're so good at just all sorts of information. My daughter and I just laugh. We're really good in the moment of knowing stuff that's interesting to us, but then other stuff that's just general stuff. We're like, whatever, I don't know. But then I really wish I could do better than that. Um, so yeah, I feel like that curious would be it because I'm always interested in hearing why people say what they say, which is probably helpful as a researcher, but I would say curious, but if you had a close second, I'd say balanced. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> I don't think you want to know. I, I, I don't know if this is kosher, but I would say menopause, man. Getting older as a woman sucks. <laughs> um, that's what I would say. That's yep. what keeps me up at night. But yeah, other than that, really very little. I'm, I try my best to go to bed with a very clear conscience and not have things worry me or bother me. And I have to say for the most part, I succeed at that. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't say much keeps me up at night other than what I just mentioned. <laughs> um, final stretch here, number 17, what's a dream you're chasing? I think I'm, I told, I mentioned it earlier. I'm definitely trying to invite more people. So one thing I've noticed is that so many students, so technically speaking in Massachusetts, I am um, in, uh, my children go to a very uh, well-respected public school system. And even in their public school system, nobody knows about this field of user experience or design or research and they don't talk about it actively in school as a career option but my children know about it obviously because I'm in this field and I've been you know I've told them about projects that I work on and interesting things that I'm interesting challenges that I'm dealing with and mm -hmm. they're always like wow this is fascinating um so when uh when I realize that they themselves don't get access to this because you know, other than the fact that they hear my stories, I think about people who are in families and family situations where those parents probably are not in this kind of field at all. And my goal is to take more of what I do to different schools and invite children in. I'm reaching out to, um, uh, as I'd mentioned, Indigenous schools and um, schools with a high population of Black children and Latina children even, just to make sure that they are aware of this as a career path. It doesn't mean that every one of them is going to want to go into this. In fact, some of them might say, I definitely don't want to do that. Well, that's also very helpful when you're trying to select a career, no, not what you don't want to do. Um, but I am truly hopeful that we can get and gain more variety in the storytellers. And I feel like we have to connect with children in the middle school and high school um, levels just because that's when they are they're sort of opening up their mind to the rest of the world and what they could do to make it better um, so yeah I'm I'm working at that actively and to anyone listening to this podcast I would say if you have access to indigenous schools or if you have access to any schools that you think would be um, really good candidates I would really please ask to reach out to me and let me know because I'm making headway but it's taking a while for sure. Somewhat recently, I started sharing user experience ideas in a workshop with nine to 14 year olds. And I've got a, another one slated for even younger than that. I think uh, yeah. I, I agree with you in that way. 
It, it, we can't hit them up at the, even once they're in undergraduate, you've already sort of, the ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. You have to really hit them at a younger age where they can be excited about it. Um, I did a project with um, the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship, which is called Nifty. It's sort of like junior achievers and it's based in New York City. Mm -hmm. This lovely gentleman, Steve Mariotti, um, started this organization. And as part of it, we were revamping some of their, um, so basically what they do is they try to address children who are dropouts in high school. Mm -hmm. And instead of having them hit the street, they want them to become a little bit more entrepreneurial and maybe set up their own business so that they can sustain themselves. So the whole premise is just absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of that, of course, they have to have some financial literacy, have some business literacy, so on and so forth. And so what Steve did was he put together these sort of self, um, you know, self-learning kind of programs where students could take themselves through these modules. And so we were helping with learning from these students, sort of their perspective on these modules and how they were using them, so on and so forth. And I realized that when talking to some of these children, they just possess, and this was 1997, maybe 96, mm -hmm. 97 about-ish. And these children possess so much talent, but sometimes nobody bothers to tell them that they can actually do something with it. Like I had a, I will never forget, there was this one young um, gentleman that I met who was amazing at doodling. He would not interact with us, really struggled to connect with us, mm -hmm. finally made the bridge and connected with us. And then when he talked to me, finally started to open up a little bit, he, he was like, you're 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 not really getting paid to do this are you like you're you're not actually making money doing this and I'm like yes I am actually um and I think that's when he started to realize like this really is a profession this really is something he could consider and he's like well and the irony is is I believe if I'm not I don't want to misspeak but I believe the organization actually took some of his doodles and put it into some of the modules because they were so impressed with it so there's clearly so much capacity that we can do to leverage the talents of some of these young people to help them not for our own benefit but to help them in their lives i just hope that we can do more of that great and this might echo the last question but what inspires you i mean i would go back to your question about learning a lot of your i would say a lot about what we've just spoken about learning inspires me my kids the people that i hear different stories from especially people whose stories are different from mine I love that. I feel like that is something that makes me stop and think and makes me go, okay, how do I feel about that? Like before I pass judgment, because it's so natural for us to do that as humans, but before I pass any judgment of, do I agree or disagree, or is that right or wrong? And we throw all these discussions at these things and sort of perspectives. I want to stop and just be like, wow, that is different from what I think. I wonder why that is. And I feel like being able to do that really allows me to appreciate the journey again instead of just the destination like even with my own children when they were tiny and they would disagree with me I wouldn't just dismiss it I would actually think about it because it's important for us to not dismiss that view because it's their view and it has to again be respected but why do I feel that sense of oh just that's pishaw I'm just putting that aside or why do I feel like wow that's really deep like, what is it about that? So wonderful. Um, number 19, any advice you'd like to share? Any advice I'd like to share? Um, 
savor the journey. Don't rush to the destination. I think if I did have to speak to some of the younger people in my field even, but across the board, everyone seems to want to just get to the end faster. You're missing half the fun. So slow down a little bit. Enjoy it. It's not to say slow down to the point where you're not doing anything, which is not a bad thing sometimes as well, <laughs> but slow down a little bit and just enjoy that journey. Don't look this concept of failure and, oh my God, like, oh, I just failed. No, you're learning. I don't think the word failure really exists in my dictionary. I just don't think of it that way. Yes, it can be disappointing. Yes, sometimes it can have consequence, but you just learn something. Now, if you make the same mistake twice, then yes, that is a failure. Maybe that's how I would des describe failure because that means you haven't paid attention and you're really not respecting what you've actually absorbed. But I'd say just savor the journey because everybody's so quick to want to rush to the destination that you literally miss all the flowers along the way. I love that. Um, and finally, number 20, how can our listeners keep tabs on you? How can we um, get into um, maybe even more depth with some of your work? Absolutely. Um, so welcome to visit me at um, Twig and Fish Research Practice. And I know I didn't mention that when I uh, introduced myself, um, but I guess I'll close with that saying that I am a 30 plus year practitioner. I have, I co-founded a micro agency in um, Boston called Twig and Fish Research Practice. So our web address is twigandfish.com. People have confused us with being a bar, but we are not, but maybe that is V2 of Twig and Fish. So I don't know. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram. So Twitter and Instagram have the same handle. It's Mina underscore KO. I would say Twitter is a lot more for general discussion and work. And Instagram is a lot more for food that I cook. So it's the chef side of me a little bit more than the um, professional side of me. But um, feel free to reach out to me at Mina at twigandfish.com. And I would always be happy to further this conversation with anyone who's interested. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mina. You know, hearing about your 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 ideas around the the personal journey. And, you know, I think of these as um, processes and methods, but now I think that's too strong. I think you're you're more um, organic ideas around journeys are, are really strong. Um, hearing about that, hearing about you talk about Winnie the Pooh and being inspired by that, um, hearing about your um, ability to talk about the details of work-life balance, I think are all really valuable for our audience. Thanks so much for being on today. Absolutely. Thanks for um, asking me to be on, Thomas, and for patiently waiting for this to come together. So I really do appreciate your involvement and invite in this whole thing. Thanks so much. If you liked today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more Unique Ways. Mm -hmm.